Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Let me begin with what I think is kind of an appropriate topic for this particular weekend. Are are you familiar with the concept of an Easter egg? Now, sometimes I'm not great on origin stories, but I believe the idea of an Easter egg. Now, I'm not talking about the actual painted egg that that you hunt and hide here this weekend, although we will be doing plenty of that over the course of the next couple of days. I'm talking about kind of like the digital Easter egg, which I think kind of first became popular in kind of the age of DVDs, when DVDs was kind of the example of top flight technology, maybe at the turn of the century, sort of. And when folks first started getting them, there was the idea of the Easter egg, this little piece of content that was hidden that you didn't necessarily know it was there. But if you were lucky enough, you might stumble across it and find it, and you were kind of rewarded for having done so. That was kind of a big deal at the beginning of the the DVD era, people enjoying finding Easter eggs or special content kind of hidden in those. Well, we're not really in the DVD age as much anymore, but the the idea of an Easter egg is occasionally out there if you are lucky enough to stumble across it or if you kind of know how to look for these things from time to time. Maybe an example of that today, because every so often there are these like coaching clinics that all the big name coaches are a part of. And every so often we're lucky enough that some of this video just kind of stumbles its way onto the Internet. And it's always at least in my ears, my eyes, way different than what you might get from just regular press conference stuff. And and frankly, with good reason. When a coach is talking to other coaches, there is an assumption of knowledge that you should have for guys who work in that field professionally that coaches probably don't have when they work in the media. And listen, they're media people who occasionally know football, things like that. But honestly, the the level of knowledge when a coach is speaking to other coaches is just going to be higher. And therefore, the coaches themselves, because they kind of feel like they're with their own as opposed to, you know, the media which they sort of think of as sometimes not their own. There's kind of a casual nature to the conversation. And so some of the best stuff we hear from coaches is stuff that leaks out from some of these coaching clinics they're a part of. Uh, really over the years, and you know, different people have kind of shared this on social media, some of the stuff that we've gotten from Kirby Smart in the past when he was just teaching football to other coaches, even if some of the X's and O's stuff was kind of over my head a little bit, I don't pretend to be smarter on that stuff than I am, it's still really insightful because you do kind of pick up nuggets along the way. Well, the last couple of days another example of that of a coaching clinic that some big name coaches Kirby Smart included uh, has been a part of and you know Smart kind of going into detail about something that's really important to him maybe we would say uh, an underrated aspect of the national championship formula the kind of thing that that could produce championship success obviously on this show we harp on two things over and over again to the point where some of you are probably tired of hearing about it you know throwing touchdown passes sacking quarterbacks those explosive plays offensively those havoc plays defensively to us around here that's about as close and about as simple as you need for any kind of you know championship formula overall but as smart and listen his words here I think deserve to be paid close attention to but as smart told some other coaches recently a lot of big name high school coaches things like that as smart teaches them in a coaching clinic that while we'll make a big deal about throwing the football, we'll make a big deal about getting after quarterbacks, things like that, that's not the only thing that matters when it comes to winning football, championship football, and the direction that Smart goes with all of this from some video that snuck its way onto the internet, you may not be surprised at the tone that Kirby Smart takes. Take a listen to this. All right, we want to be a good team. We want to win a national championship. What do we have to do defensively? So it has nothing to do with offense. you got to score points on offense. We all know that. But eight of the last ten national championships – at that point, had been in the top 15 in rushing defense. You go back, 
We weren't. We were 31st. So we knew we had to find a way to move ourselves up in rushing defense. All right. You're probably sitting there thinking that football has become a pass first game now. And you're right. It has become a, a pass first game. So why is Coach Smart talking about the foundations of Georgia run defense if football is a pass first game? The better you're at stopping the run, the more guys you can commit to the pass. <laughs> That's why it matters. Now, you might think upon hearing that, even if you think it's like me, very, very interesting, you might think, oh, here's Kirby Smart talking about, you know, uh, old man football or whatever else you want to say, not talking enough about throwing the football, sacking quarterbacks, the kinds of things that we would all maybe say contribute to winning here in 2021. And, and you might be quick to assume that, I, therefore, I don't like the audio we just heard from Smart because he's not talking enough about the things that we would look at recent national champions and say that's what the winning formula kind of looks like. Smart's words here feel like a little bit of an outlier. And so, therefore, as I said before, you might be quick to assume that I don't like what Kirby Smart says there. And the truth is it's actually a little bit more complicated than that because at first blush, yes – you know, I, I love it when Smart, you know, does like he's done in spring practice thus far this year, addressing, you know, how important it is to get after quarterbacks and how much better at that Georgia wants to be after really improving itself in that regard in 2020. And obviously talking about the the offensive stuff, which admittedly maybe Smart still to my taste doesn't quite talk about as much as I might like. Yeah, I'd love to hear Smart saying those things. But that doesn't mean that I don't like, to use a double negative, I guess, that doesn't mean that I don't like what Smart just said right there because I think it's really important for a couple of reasons. First of all, at the point in which Smart is referencing all of that, you go back to 2018 when Smart says they were outside the top 30 in rushing defense. He's talking about in 2018. And when you really think about it, to go from where Georgia was in 2018 to where it has been in 2019, 2020, essentially the best rush defense in the country. And I'm not saying that. I mean, literally, statistically, they are the best rush defense in the country over the course of the last two years. To say we identified this as an area we need to improve, and then Georgia essentially became the best in the country at doing that, I mean, that does speak to the coaching success of Smart and his assistants. I also think it speaks to the emergence of guys like you know Jordan Davis and others. But 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 to say, hey, we got to get better at this, and then over the course of the next two years, Georgia became the best in the country, that's a pretty cool thing. But on the other hand, there's this. Smart says, at the point in time we were measuring this, we saw those top 15-level rush defenses being a pretty significant component to winning a national championship. It almost seems like the last couple of years have kind of gone the other direction and maybe you know, obscures the point that Smart was trying to make there. Because if top 15 rushing defenses were really important up until 2018, dating back to the BCS era, which is kind of in the stat line that Smart's talking about there, last couple of national champions have been outside the top 15 when it comes to rushing yards allowed. Bama this past year was only 17th in the country when it comes to rush yards allowed per game. LSU was just 21st. But here's why I think Smart's point still is worthy of respect and still an important thing to consider. While LSU was not a great defense, if you're going to define great as, you know, like top 10 in the country in uh, in 2019 when they won the national championship, uh, they were very good when they faced Georgia. In the SEC championship in 2019, LSU allowed, what, fewer than 70 yards rushing to a Georgia there that day. So Georgia, a good rush offense. When it mattered in an SEC championship game, LSU was able, unfortunately, if you're a UGA fan, to shut down that Georgia rush, uh, rushing attack. And Bama a year ago, once again, if you're going to define great as like top 10 in the country, Bama not quite in that category just 17th nationally a year ago, but they held Georgia like 30 yards below their season-long average when it came to a rushing the football a year ago. They were very good when they needed to against the Georgia team that was also last year pretty good against uh, you know running the football. 
So the point here that I think if Smart were to keep talking about this subject over and over again beyond just the audio that we heard a moment ago is, is that obviously he acknowledged that scoring points are important and he just acknowledged that stopping the pass is important there as well. But I think what's really interesting in the audio you just heard from Kirby Smart is you can't do those things at the expense of of not stopping the run. In other words, if you want to, you know, gamble and be really aggressive and, and and try to deal with the pass defense, but you leave yourself vulnerable to the run, we see how badly that works out. The LSU team I mentioned a moment ago, uh, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had 1,400 yards rushing in 2019. Obviously, we know what Najee Harris did for Alabama a year ago. That In a lot of ways, but Joe Brady is the passing game coordinator for LSU and Steve Sarkeesian as the offensive coordinator for Alabama, what they wanted to do to you a year ago was get you so worried about the uh, pass, they could gash you with the run. And Georgia fans remember that from the Rose Bowl game in 2017 and all the time we spent on this show leading into that game saying I know it's Baker Mayfield I know it's Lincoln Riley I know it's a bunch of wide receivers be careful with that running attack be careful with Rodney Anderson be careful with uh, Sermon the uh, the uh, guy out of the state of Georgia be careful with those running backs because when you're so worried about what they're doing from the passing standpoint when you throw numbers at that problem all of a sudden you've got limited personnel to stop the run so you better be good with the limited personnel you have and actually in that full video clip that I just took a snippet of smart did talk about that about how you know the key to all of this is using a small number of players but still bowing your back and being stout against the run it's really an interesting point and probably one if you're a you know football junkie things like that you should do your part to find on the internet in fact I'll put a link to it when I post the show later on uh, you'll like the x's and o's stuff of this from smart but the overall point here is that even as you try to get better throwing the football and scoring points, smart acknowledging that that's true, and even as you acknowledge the attempt to stop other teams from doing that being key in the success quotient, you can't do that at the expense of a leaky rush defense. Otherwise, you're putting yourself in an entirely different kind of problem. I think that's really interesting. Now, with all that said, let me kind of shift gears here to do something slightly different, although not completely different, because I believe it's from the same coaching clinic. Uh, I want to play some audio from uh, Nick Saban, but let me set it up this way. Do you remember the other day when I was talking about Kirby Smart talking about offense and I was a little bit disappointed that the phrase that he used was we to describe his defense and them to describe Georgia's offense and you know it obviously just sort of speaks to the defensive mentality of Kirby Smart and I was only kind of half serious about this all the way around anyway but in talking about what's happening during practice we are a little behind them meaning the defense a little bit behind the offense essentially seeing himself as a part of the defense whereas you know the offense is just some sort of other you know that you know almost like an opponent as opposed to you know a side of the ball that he's also in charge of and in control of and as I said before I was half kidding half serious about all of that but if you thought that Kirby Smart didn't necessarily embrace offensive football enough because he called his offense them during practice his uh mentor and old boss Nick Saban takes it even step further because in this same coaching clinic that the uh, Kirby Smart stuff came out of it's kind of a streaming video uh you know kind of socially distant uh, clinic I guess uh Nick Saban had a very emphatic message for the uh, offensive coaches of the world out there this is a little bit of a clunky metaphor but uh, nonetheless Nick Saban making his feelings very 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 clear about how he feels about offensive coaches. Let me just say this, all right, because I, I want to be clear here. All right, all these offensive coaches on here, and I'm sure we got a few. I wish I could look at you when I say this to you. You guys are all part of the Taliban, man. All right, I mean, you're you're a part of Al Qaeda. You you have changed our game, all right, and made it so hard to play defense for all of us poor defensive guys that. You know, I, I can't sit in church without shaking my leg or 
you know, my hands start shaking because I'm worried about what you guys are going to do next. So I do respect you, but I, I still think you're, you know, you're so, so maybe not the best comparison there from Saban, but we're not going to cancel him from something that he didn't know was going to be made public as it is. But uh, just kind of a funny way to look at, you know, these defensive guys, when they see the offensive revolution kind of taking over in college football, you are kind of left to wonder you know what to do about that for Kirby Smart how much does rush defense still matter he says it still matters a good bit for Nick Saban knowing that you know the the influence that 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 his style playing defense running the football the kinds of things that he once made famous are really less important now in the sport than they've ever been before what do you do about all of that I mean I think that every coach is kind of wrestling with that and kind of finding a way to not just choose one or the other but really have it all be good defensively and great offensively sack quarterbacks be aggressive but also have the kind of tough up the middle nose guard inside linebacker things along those lines safeties that give you a chance to stop the run it's really about finding a way to do it all and obviously every coach has got their own style on that but interesting to hear a little bit of audio leaking out of exactly how these coaches approach what is really the most important question facing college football at the moment my name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by our friends at Kroger Inn. Glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon, on Athens Sports Radio 960, The Ref. Of course, as a podcast, wherever you find them, worldfamousdognation.com. We post the show each and every day. That's where you can put your comments in to be a part of our podcast, Cool Down, presented by R.S. Andrews, that happens at the, each, at the end of each and every podcast. Of course, the Apple Player, the Google Player, Spotify, worldfamousdognation.com, as I said before. Uh, to leave anything else, just podca- uh, podcast platforms, we got you covered on all that. And Kroger's got you covered for Easter. Don't forget about this. Not too late to get it all planned out. I know um, my family, my mom, and everybody else kind of getting loaded up and getting ready to go for the big day on Sunday. A lot of shopping here this weekend, so... For the stuff to go in the Easter baskets, the candy, the eggs, everything else, the stuff to go on the table for the holiday meal, recipes included, website to go to Kroger.com slash Easter, and you can kind of dive in and be a part of all of that and really celebrate what's going to be a great weekend. Weather's supposed to be nice. A lot of us getting a chance to do more for Easter this year than we were able to do a year ago, so just a uh, really a joyous time, and certainly Kroger wants to get you stocked up, ready to go on that. Check out Kroger as we head towards the uh, weekend coming up here and that is going to be a ton of fun all right before we move on and get jeff Sintel here coming up in just a couple of minutes time i also want to spend some time going around the doghouse here and speaking of jeff Sintel, as we go around the doghouse what a great interview jeff had wednesday before the hedges presented by kroger with one of the new uga commits jalen walker the linebacker out of salisbury north carolina and jalen is just kind of a kind of a good guy all the way around certainly very very a uh, good spokesman for UGA here in the class of 2022 that he's a part of. And you should really listen to the entire interview for, you know, kind of his feelings with the George coaching staff, some of the other key recruits he's now going after. One of those we talked about earlier this week, Travis Shaw, the big five-star defensive lineman uh, out of the state of North Carolina. But one of the things that you kind of get a sense from by listening to Walker is the way in which some of these classes for Georgia, you know, 2017 probably kind of got this started in my mind most famously, but a lot since then as well. These guys that that just connect, form a tight bond with each other, you get the sense that's in the process of happening for this class of 2022 with guys who are publicly known to be in the class, with guys who are right now we just kind of view as UGA recruiting targets, whether it be through text messages and everything else. These guys starting to get to know each other here a little bit. Uh, Jalen Walker told Jeff Sintel that the other night. Hey, here's Jalen. You know, 
it's really good, you know, all those guys, you know, welcoming me uh, overall, you know, getting a chance to speak to those guys personally, just really cool thing, you know, meeting, getting great relationships and everything. And one of those guys in particular that Walker's getting to know right now, and you love to hear this, is another guy that has just committed committed to UGA in the last you know week plus here. The other a five star and Malachi Starks out of Jefferson, Georgia. It sounds like Starks and Walker, upon becoming members of this UGA class, have become fast friends here. So all of this really good. Jalen Walker talking about his feelings for Malachi Starks and their collective vision for UGA overall. Me and Malachi, you know, we hit it off, you know, I, you know, I reached out to him, you know, hey, what are we going to do? I feel like I can't go to a university by myself to be great. I have to have the best teammates to be with me to be great. Boy, you love the idea of that. I think it just sort of speaks to the mindset of maybe modern athletes all the way around, but certainly within the college football sphere of you want to be great and you know that you're going to need teammates to be able to do that we're in kind of in the NBA super team era we've kind of been there for a while and obviously a lot of the cultural stuff there kind of trickles down to the rest of sports now I think recruits see themselves the same way great players validate themselves by playing with other great players Malachi Starks Jalen Walker kind of seeing each other maybe they, maybe they see some of themselves in each other but clearly the kinds of guys they believe can form a nucleus with others around them here for the class of 2022 at UGA that's just really good stuff the entire interview is worth your time we'll talk to Jeff more about Jalen Walker here in a moment moment but you really should check it out just incredible incredible uh conversation with uh with Jalen Walker the big time prospect big time get for Georgia last Sunday spending some time with Dog Nation here this week hey before we do this with Jeff Centel let me also mention this obviously thinking about UGA and talking dogs here we think a lot about the Athens area as well and here's one of the things I can tell you the Athens community one of the hottest real estate markets really in 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 the country and so many of you want to want to live there or you do live there you want to invest there you have things you want to do well what you need is expert and local knowledge to get involved with this and that's what my friends at five market realty can provide to you whether you're moving to athens you want to retire in athens which is becoming kind of a hot idea or you're looking to invest there and obviously athens area investments continues to be uh, really important there as well they can do game day condos student investment properties airbnb properties properties, which is kind of a fun thing that you're able to do right now. It's all what they're able to do for you. Expert local knowledge. They're also part of the 2021 uh, Bulldog 100. So when you do business with them, five market realty, you're going to be working with dog fans. That's always a fun thing to do. As I said before, there's nothing better than supporting companies that support UGA, that support us here on Dog Nation Daily. That's what five market realty provides. If you're watching on video, you see their website. Let me tell you how to get to that website. It's 5mrealty.com. 5mrealty.com. The Athens area real estate market is a market you want to be a part of as an investor, or many of you just you know dream about living there. That's what they uh, can provide for you, but you need that local knowledge. You need that local expertise. My friends at 5M Realty are going to be able to do that for you. It's 5mrealty.com. Make sure you check them out today. All right, we are going to talk about some news related to some other UGA athletic programs before the show is done today. Maybe some good news on one side, probably not some quite so good news on the other. We'll cover that before we're done. Two of the funniest golden shoes we've had in a while. We'll cover those here coming up in just a couple of minutes, too. But for now, on everything related to uh, UGA recruiting, let's get ready to talk to our buddy Jeff Sintel here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. Hope you guys are getting ready for a great Easter weekend. And, of course, glad to have you with us. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So uh, say hello to a Jeff Sintel here, and it feels like every time Jeff and I have gotten together in recent days, we've been talking about commits 
you know, recently in the fold for Georgia. You go back to uh, last week, Malachi Starks kind of got it going. Jalen Walker after that. Jordan James, very impressive uh, four-star running back in the state of Tennessee to follow after that. Lo and behold, an Australian punter yesterday. Uh, so just a lot of, or at least this week anyway, a lot of fun stuff and, and a lot to cover related to uh, all of this. So, uh, Jeff, welcome back here to uh, Dog Nation Daily, uh, presented by Kroger here today. It has been quite a run for Georgia in recruiting for its class of 2022 over the course of the last, what, eight days. It's been really fun to see. Yeah, Brandon, it's it's crazy. Over the last eight days, I think Georgia's went from number four nationally to now they're number two and with a Matthew Bowling-type leg kick coming around the turn. I think it is very possible, highly possible, that the next Georgia commitment will allow them to make up the, the five points necessary to pass Ohio State for the number one rated team on the 24-7 sports team composite rankings and if that's not even better than saying good morning to everybody, Dog Nation, I don't know what is. Yeah, no doubt about that. Let me deal with a couple of names here that we've probably talked about more than the others, and then we'll kind of work our way you know, through Jordan James and everything else. I mean, we played some audio of Jalen Walker a moment ago. This is a guy that you had on your show. The audio we played was from your show, of course, We uh, from Before the Hedges on Wednesday. And you listen to the Malachi Stark stuff going back last week. I think the thing that the Georgia fan probably likes the most here is, and I know I hear this a lot from the Georgia fans that I talk to, is that in addition to being you know great players, it's great players who buy into a team concept. They want to play with other great players. They are incredible mouthpieces, spokesmen for the program. They are you know, seemingly forming quick bonds, fast friendships here. I think there's some good vibes off the field that this 2022 class is giving there as well. And it's fun to say, okay, so Jalen Walker's connected to Malachi Starks. Malachi Starks connected to Gunnar Stockton. He's talked about that. Stockton is friends with non-commits right now, guys like Oscar Delp and Kojo Antweed and Alan Morissette. And, you know, it becomes one of these things where you can do kind of a six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing and, and start to see how a lot of this stuff can start to add together here a little bit. And as you said before, it adds up at the very least to one of the very best classes in the country for 2022, if not number one overall, if the dominoes keep falling like this. Yeah, Brandon, that's a fun party game. I'm, and we, we can keep extending it. Maybe the six degrees of separation for the nation's number one recruiting class, a potentially eventual, I think Alabama and obviously Ohio State will still keep the iron very hot in terms of the guys they're going to add to the class. But you, know, you can keep extending that. And you can go Jalen Walker to Travis Shaw if you want to. You can yeah. go... Um, you know that's the that's the five star defensive tackle. And listen, buddy, I told you like you're gonna be you're gonna be feeling like Joey and his turkey pants on a friends episode, man, about all these defensive tackles in this class because there's the stark reality for Georgia fans to think about. Okay, what if Christian Miller, Walter Nolan, Bear Alexander, Tyree West, Mikel Williams, and um, Walter Nolan? I think I got them all. And yeah. you know, there's 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 even more guys. I mean, like there's there's a guy, there's a defensive tackle, Evan Turner, out of uh, out of Mississippi. He's going to come in that first weekend in June for an official visit as well. I mean, sooner or later you're going to go, uh, I mean, where are all these defensive tackles coming from? I mean, you know those, you know that Denzel move, Washington movie, Man on Fire? I think Travion Scott's going to play that in a community Athens theater production um, about because that's how hot he is right now on the recruiting trail. You add in that you know, Will Muschamp is kind of being in there lurking in the background for some of these front seven guys, these box defender guys. And 
Uh, man, I mean, there's a lot of things, Brandon, but for you to sit there and say Georgia's recruiting might be as white hot as it's ever been right yeah. now. Uh, it's definitely it's definitely in the discussion box for sure. So let me talk about Jordan James for a moment, the four-star running back that commits here. And, Jeff, you're very aware of the conversation that's been ongoing with fans. I'll sum it up this way. On the one hand, people see, wow, the stats were amazing. This guy averaged like 10 yards a carry. And the film kind of matches the stats in terms of, well, how do you get those big numbers? You have to have a lot of big runs. And James certainly did that. Oakland's a you know pretty sizable program there in that kind of middle Tennessee area. But on the other hand, you know, he's not a five-star, you know, not quite as highly rated as some of the running backs that that maybe we kind of typically think of Georgia going after. And so there's this curiosity of, well, tell me more about James, given the fact that his recruiting profile is a little bit different than some of the other running backs we talk about from time to time. So with all of that in mind, tell us about James. <laughs> that's a nice intro there, Brandon. I think uh... – you know, well, here's here's one that's going to maybe drop some jaws a little bit. I asked this high school coach, Kevin Creasy, at Oakland High School. I've known Kevin for about seven or eight years now because uh, he was the head coach that um, piloted the, the prep career of Jacoby Stevens, uh, now on his way to the NFL out of LSU after four years at LSU. And um, Kevin Creasy said he's a guy that basically is going to be – uh, very good to great in all the categories. He even dropped the player parallel of Emmett Smith that I'm sure caught some caught some eyes when that showed up in the DogNation.com follow-up story on Jordan James and his commitment. I mean, for jo- James, it was really always imminent that he was going to choose Georgia. I think one of the things I've noticed with a common thread uh, about all these players, especially these out-of-state players, is Georgia's just not going to go belly up on a five-star and say, all right, especially in COVID times, and say, all right, we're going to shoot our shot here. They're going to be a little bit more precise and strategic in terms of, you know, we're going to look for kids that already have a connection and an attachment to the University of Georgia before all the, all, all the, all the sweet words start coming out of the staff's mouth, before all the actual recruiting happens. You know, Jordan James has always been impressed with Georgia's recruiting tradition. He's in the state of Tennessee. He established Georgia as his leader. Uh, I think it was October of his junior season. The thing I like about Jordan is he's going to catch the ball a little bit. Uh, he's a willing blocker. He has those team captain type. Uh, he has those team chemistry type things. He doesn't say much. He goes about his business. But then when a teammate kind of hops out of line and gets off, gets off in the ditch a little bit, he's going to be the one that's the mouthpiece for the coaches kind of jerking them back into the system there. So I, I think James, uh, one thing I really liked about James is he was a marked man in, in um, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Tennessee, uh, the Oakland Patriots played highest level of classification of football in Tennessee. And he, he had he had a hundred yard game and I think 13 out of his 15 games as a junior uh, when everybody knew what was coming, he had some big monster games, some big monster carries and, um, very rarely, this is the typical carry. I asked Kevin Creasy, I said, what's the typical carry? The typical carry is he's going to make the first man miss, and then he's going to break the first tackle. And when you can get those sort of things consistently in the Georgia offense, I think everybody doesn't need to worry about where he's rated right now. Think about Kenny McIntosh. Think about Dejon Edwards. Um, if you've got Del McGee picking out uh, an upper echelon running back for this class and Jordan James made the cut, 
Uh, I think you should be certifying him as solid gold, solid gold, grade A bulldog. Yeah, I mean, I said this to, I think it was Connor Riley on the show the other day, that if you really look around the last couple of years, there have been what I would describe as some high-profile misses for George when it comes to running back recruitment. You didn't get John Emery. You didn't get Trey Sanders. You didn't get Zach Evans. But the truth is, the guys that you didn't get – you know, haven't really cost you as of yet. Maybe pursuing Evans cost you Tank Bigsby, and maybe one day you'll regret that. But even that thus far, you know, does not seem like that egregious uh, of a miss as of yet, although I do think that Bigsby's a pretty good player. And the guys that you have gotten, I mean, last year when Dejan Edwards played, I thought Edwards really looked pretty good. And obviously Kenny McIntosh has no shortage of fans right now. Folks looking forward to seeing him get back healthy and contributing again. I guess the point is, Jeff, I mean, nobody's a bigger stargazer than me when it comes to recruiting. But at the running back spot, you know, given Dell McGee's eye for talent, at this point in time, I almost don't even really care about the ratings anymore for these Georgia running backs. If McGee wants them, the guy that he wants must be a Georgia-level running back because that's what Edwards, McIntosh, guys like that have shown you. Here's the thing, Brandon. For me, all that makes total sense. The thing here for me, for these this next wave of running backs, and I'll count Kendall Milton's class in 2020 along with that, in 2021 along with that, um, you're going to see um, synergy. I think that's what I want to call it, synergy. You're going to have an elite passer. Let's look at this for a second, Brandon. Georgia has never had a better quarterback situation than what it has right now. You think about it for a minute, and you immediately think, all right, hold on now. What about Eason in, on campus from understudy? Justin Fields committed. Right, gotcha. But right now Georgia has JT Daniels, the star, uh, Carson Beck, and – also, uh, Brock Vandegrift, the potential alpha understudies. And then you've got Gunnar Stockton on the way. That's four incredible quarterbacks right there. Synergy continues with having some special receivers out there. And what we discussed yesterday, Brandon, on the show was like on our, on our cover four live last night is you take a look at Georgia's second team offensive line. And I'm just going to spitball and I'm going to throw, uh, Broderick Jones left tackle, maybe, um, maybe we're going to go uh, Chad Lindbergh at left guard. Maybe we're going to go Austin Blasky at left guard. Then you go Cedric Von Prahn. Then you go Chad Lind. Then you go Tate Ratledge at right guard. And then you go Marison, uh, Marius Mims at, at right tackle. Man, the synergy there between offensive line, passer, and then weapons outside, it's going to change the way SEC defenses attack the Bulldogs. And it's going to open up a lot of lanes for, for names like Dejon Edwards, Kendall, Kendall Milton, also, Labassier Carroll, should he eventually matriculate back to running back, but also a Jordan James going forward and also potentially a guy like maybe a Branson Robinson going forward as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, Kendall Milton is someone that I think of as, as an elite recruit, but the truth is, by recruiting ranking standpoint, by the time that class was done, I think he was only the, what, the number seven running back in the country, which I just kind of laugh at. There's no way there's six running backs from the class of, was it 2020? From the class of 2020 that are, you know, I believe better prospects right now than what Kendall Milton looks like. So, I mean, this is one of those things, and I know everybody says this, and you know everybody always acts like whatever recruit you get was the best recruit you could have gotten. But in Dale McGee's case, if anybody has earned the right to trust his own evaluation and you know McGee's validation being more valuable than a star ranking because of how good the Georgia running back situation has been, I mean, I certainly think this is an example where that ought to be, ought to be enough, ought to be plenty. I certainly agree, and you, you see a lot of these guys, and, you know, you named a lot of names, Brendan. You named John Emery Jr. Um, you started rolling off Zach Evans. You started rolling off a lot of guys, Trey Sanders, that were, that were near misses for Georgia or where Georgia was, you know, kind of right there at the, right there at the, uh, at the chapel, I guess, trying to make, 
see if they could get a, a, a binding commitment in a, you know, they, they could make the marriage work. But for, for all those guys, you may, you mentioned a lot of guys that haven't really became superstars in college football. It could be argued that the McIntosh career, the Milton career, uh, some of those guys have already had as many, as many, as many flashes as some of those names that you brought up. And now there's injury cases there for Sanders and there's Evans and his first year as well. And Emory backing up a lot of talented dudes, but, um, I mean, it's at the point now, Brandon, where I think the Georgia running back is almost not only joining one of the most elite fraternities in the country, uh, he's going to be very endowed with uh, a lot of chances. And if you're talking about a guy like Jordan James, it's usually either going to break the first tackle or make the first guy miss. Uh, given that line and given the road grading and snow plows that are going to be in front of him, I think that's going to mean for a lot of second-level, third-level runs where these – you know, the thing, the thing Del McGee – and he's even said this on the record when we got to talk to him at, at Rose Bowl practices and national championship practices, is McGee has always stated when he has a chance to greet the media that what he's looking for is a guy that can get him yards after the play concept has gotten him to the point where, okay, it's time to make him play. He calls those dog yards, and that means, okay, anybody in the SEC is going to get six yards out of this. The Georgia running back, which would be a Jordan James now, is going to find a way to get 12, 15, 18 out of this because of his remarkable skill set. And that's what makes a Georgia running back different. I'm just saying there's never been a golden field of opportunity for a running back coming to Georgia now, giving the passer, giving the the mother load of talent on the offensive line, and then giving playmakers at tight end, playmakers at wide receiver that be spreading out the defense a little bit. I think it's going to be a great, a glorious time to be a Georgia running back going forward. And that's what, that's what folks I think need to know about Jordan James and then the potential addition in the 2022 cycle as well. All right. I need to change the subject here a little bit. Great job by our buddy Connor Riley staying on top of all of this. This is actually developing as we're on the air here. You mentioned the name five star defensive lineman Walter Nolan a moment ago, a guy who every indication is, including the interview that you did with Nolan the other day, that all of a sudden Georgia much more on the radar for him. This is the guy when he initially released his top 10, UGA not included, but now Walter Nolan has dropped to top eight here on social media, and you see Georgia now in the mix, along with LSU, Alabama, Michigan, Florida, Oregon, Ohio State, and USC. So he says, I'm honored to say that I've cut down my list to eight. Recruitment is still wide open, and if you heard the the interview with Nolan, boy, is it ever wide open. He's certainly leaving his options open, but um, a very nice-looking Hayes Fawcett edit there that now includes Georgia in a top eight. Jeff, quite a development there. We're talking Travis Shaw on the one side of five-star defensive tackle, and yet another five-star um, uh, defensive uh, lineman in Nolan's case has put a bullet next to Georgia's name going into his top eight after not being in his top ten. These are heady days. Yeah, I mean, he's already told us that uh, Georgia's going to get an official, Brandon. When I look at that, I mean, I don't look at it the way Brandon Adams and Stargazer does, and his top eight does not look like Georgia, 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 Alabama, Michigan, LSU, and Ohio State. Uh, I think, but I, but I do think, I do think there are only about four or five legitimate contenders in there uh, for Walter Nolan. And you know, Georgia fans have to be empowered by the fact that he's already talking to Big Bear Alexander. He's already talking to other unnamed members of the class about playing together, that he wants to play together with a, a barnstorming group of uh, very, very hard men that's going to really tear up some offensive lines and blocking schemes. He's not bothered by going to play with a lot of other dudes. In fact, he's kind of chomping at the bit. 
Uh, you will notice there that you do not see the Clemson Tigers in there. Yeah. Um, you do not see the Tennessee Volunteers. You do not see maybe some of the other geocentric uh, schools. He's actually uh, he had moved to uh, Tennessee out of Mississippi, if I believe. You don't see an Ole Miss. You don't see a Mississippi State. Um, so really, to me, that looks like there's about four or five viable names in there. There's a couple of official visit trips in there as well. Uh, but, you know, Walter Nolan. And Brennan, you, you and I have been doing this a long time. How often have we seen um, congruency from rivals and 24-7 and the composite mm-hmm. all on the nation's number one player? Yeah. And that's what you have in Walter Nolan. So this is one of those moments when I get to be a newsman, pop my papers and say – more on this story as it develops. Uh, one story that kind of is developed a little bit more fully than this is the situation with Brett Thorson. I think it's fascinating. I've predicted already that I believe that he'll be uh, an incredible fan favorite. Jeff, you're of similar age to me, although a little bit older, honesty compels me to admit. Um, you remember when, <laughs> when Richard Tarditz was at Georgia, you know, pass rusher out of France back in the 80s. Fans loved him back then. You know, Georgia kind of getting on the train, a punter now from Australia. There are a lot of these. I know you've got a great story coming up on Thorson at dognation.com. How did all this come together for Georgia, kind of getting in on one of the uh, hot college football trends, punters from down under? Yeah, Brandon, it's almost like the uh... – I don't know. When your kids get a little older, man, they'll start complaining like, "Hey, man, we only have the iPhone seven or iPhone 8. And like, for 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 college football, this was almost like Kirby Smart was a little, and this and this uh, program was a little behind the times because the in vogue thing to do. And we're going to drop some stats in the story that will go up on DogNation.com today. Uh, is we're just kind of answering a lot of things. We're not only talking about Brett Thorson, but what's up with these. These punters from from Australia. How prevalent is the trend? How does a guy go from? Uh, and here's one fascinating nugget, Brandon, about Brett Thorson. So he's 21. He's about six two, two fifteen. And right away you go, hold on, whoa, whoa, whoa. This does not sound like the punters of yesteryear or even the punters of four or five years ago. Uh, he can even throw a football, Brandon. I'm, I've been told. Uh, by folks that eyeball this all the time, that Thorson could probably throw a ball 45, 55 uh, yards on a on a great line with a tight spiral. So tuck that away for future fake punt uh, misadventures or glory to, to come down the line in the 2023 and 2024 seasons. But uh, Thorson is a guy, man, that um, you know, he only started doing this, man, like April or May of a year ago. And he has this, innate ability that he's already developed and some of that training time was a little uh, off the rails because of the pandemic in Australia in his home of Melbourne but he somehow developed into a major D1 punter and this is how it works Brandon because obviously nobody's going in the age of the coronavirus back and forth and eyeballing them colleges can't do that anyway in the dead period so this is all about okay here's a camera over the right shoulder of the punter and you can time it on any screen. Oh, that's a great hang time. And you can have a guy standing in the end zone and punting from the 50, and people can know, okay, that, that's really what I, that's really how far that ball went. Now I can figure out the hang time. And, and, you know, Todd Hartley has some experience in recruiting international punters going back from his time at Miami. Look at Lou Headley from a year ago. Yeah. I believe he's a Grozo Award. I mean, he's a Ray Guy Award finalist. He's a second-team All-American. 
How would you like your Georgia football punter to average 47.3 yards per kick? Sure. Uh, that would be a very sporty measure in the SEC. And, uh, the things that Brett Thorson, really a relative novice um, at this craft right now, is already doing enough to garner a scholarship from the University of Georgia. It's fascinating, and uh, I think he's going to be vying for a lot of name, image, and likeness stuff down the road. Because, I mean, heck, this has basically never happened. Georgia ne- has never taken a commitment from a prospect who was 15 hours ahead of Clark County, Athens, Georgia, local time when he makes, makes the commitment. He actually commits at like 5 a.m. on a Thursday in Australia, and then folks around Georgia are celebrating it around 1 p.m. Uh, on the Wednesday. I mean, it, it's just great stuff. It's a great story. Lots of little wrinkles to come with this, but... You know, one little other nugget that I thought was interesting is when, when, when the film kept coming back to Kirby Smart, he just wanted to watch it over and over. Just, you know, let me see some more. Let me see some more. And it wasn't because he needed to have a critical eye and a stopwatch out. It was like a kid with a new toy, an Australian punter, that can just simply hammer this ball already and bring rain. It goes up so high in the air. It, it's going to be a fun story to follow, an international bulldog. Uh, he's already 21. He's a full-grown, more developed body, great athlete. Uh, I think Brett Thorson. And, and again, let's not forget, though, Georgia was really happy about a punter that they brought in in the last class, a preferred walk-on from, from Cairo. So you've got a, yeah. a big toe from Cairo, another big toe from Cairo, just part of the constant competition at Georgia. Um, but this is worthy because, number one, Jake Camarda is probably – going to be the type of punter that not only goes to the NFL that might get drafted in the 2022 NFL draft. Uh, so he'd be coming in on scholarship to try to replace that uh, Camarda I consider to be an all-SCC level yeah, punter. Sure, and um, from, from, from what I've been told, man, the Georgia staff bringing in a guy like Thorson does not expect any drop-off um, from Camarda to uh, Thorson. Because you got to remember, Dorson's already old enough to be going to the league after three or four years of college in some circles. So you've got a grown man, a more physically developed man, that will be punting the ball for the University of Georgia in the future. Let me squeeze in one more thing before we let you go, because last night on our Cover 4 Live broadcast, you said something I thought was really interesting, which was that you're hearing good things about a couple of guys that I would sort of consider you know, somewhat unheralded recruits. Donna Mitchell, a wide receiver, the most recent uh, class guy. We haven't really seen play a lot of high school football because of, you know, the the, the loss of his, you know, final season there. Um, Austin Blasky, an offensive lineman from the previous class. And yet it sounds like you're hearing some good things about them right now in terms of maybe outperforming what we would have maybe expected from them here in the early going of their time at UGA. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, there's a lot of names that are kind of sneaking the way up the radar. I think uh, Blasky is a guy that uh, here's a kind of fearless prediction. I think Blasky will develop the skill set during the next two or three years at Georgia, where he could play all five positions across the line as tackle, guard, and center. Of course, Georgia fans would love to see that versatility. That would be taking um, the Swiss Army knife versatility of the Sam Pittman era to another level to include a very adept snapper as well. Uh, that's Blasky out of uh, the 912, another uh, Coastal Empire Bulldog that I know our fans and viewers in that region are definitely going to be proud of. Uh, you've got a name like Justin Robinson finally making the most of his opportunity as well. Can't wait to see what he does at the spring game. Mitchell, to me, is a fascinating guy. I think we bird-dogged this story 
maybe when we started doing our cover four or not our, our cover fours, but our film rooms with uh, Terrence Edwards back in, I think, December, where we started chopping up the guys in the class. And Terrence noticed right away his, his scouting radar kind of, his Doppler radar went off about, hold on a second, 6'2", six, 6'3", six, get in and out of his breaks, can stretch the field, good ball skills, good hands, he has the size. Well, And then Adonai Mitchell does, does everyone's projections a favor and shows up at Georgia about 6'4 and a half, 6'4", about 190 pounds, a willing learner, ready to soak up everything he can. And that's an offset of, uh, you know, the, the injuries currently you've seen to the top of the depth chart with Pickens and, you know, thankfully the only minor setback here for Jermaine Burton. Those are names that are kind of popping up. It's kind of those spring blooming stories. I would look to the other side of the ball and I would, I would, I would kind of, you know, trumpet the work of Jalen Kimber. Here's the thing everybody's going to say about Jalen Kimber. It's what they were saying about him one to two years ago. Got to put on weight, needs to add weight, but man, can he run, and man, can he turn. Man, can he know how to play the position. Man, can he go up and get a ball. Remember, Brandon, Jalen Kimber, there are only four athletes, three or four athletes of the last ten years that came to Georgia from the spark rating through the opening that had that 135, 140-type score. And you're talking about a guy like uh, Nick Chubb. You're talking about a guy like Nolan Smith. And then you're talking about a guy like Jalen Kimber, just a phenomenal athlete, a great worker, a guy that, you know, my information said that was already picking up the scheme pretty well for a freshman last fall. He was just buried behind, you know, Stokes and Campbell and Webb and um, DJ Daniel and all those, all those veterans, Tyreek Stevenson, all those veterans ahead of him. And, then there weren't really the blowouts with the all-SEC schedule to get him a lot of work and get him a lot of film so he could rise up the depth chart competing for time against those talented guys. Jalen Kimber is a name that I think Georgia has to see him become one of their top three cornerbacks on the team quickly uh, this season, top three, top four, for them to get to go where they need to go. Jeff, great stuff. Thanks for being here. Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. Hope you and your family enjoy an Easter weekend here coming up. Beautiful weekend weather-wise. I think it's supposed to be and a whole lot of fun on this kind of unofficial start to spring and obviously very important day in our calendar. Thank you so much uh, for being here. We'll look forward to speaking to you soon. Hey, Brandon, buddy. Have a great weekend. Uh, hide those eggs. Find last year's lost Easter eggs. And uh, everybody have a great weekend and a happy Easter. There will be a lot of that, Jeff. We'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Was that a little Sam Pittman-style sign-off from Jeff there? Kind of a blast from the past going, yes, sir, there on the way out the door. Kind of funny to hear that. Hey, I've got a lot of stuff I want to do for our SEC Through, so let me just do this real quick. Uh, good friends at uh, Harris Cherokee Casino Resort talk about a great weekend. For a lot of you, it's time to start thinking about getting away. You know, and Harris Cherokee Casino Resort gives you a chance to do that. Here's the thing I'm going to tell you. One thing for now. The book is open. Sports gaming in the mountains of Western North Carolina, beautiful part of the country, just two-hour drive from Atlanta, whether it's the Harris Cherokee Casino Resort or Harris Cherokee Valley River. Get there. You can get some action down on the final four games this weekend. Major League Baseball going on. You can do all of that. Harris Cherokee Casino Resort website. Go to Caesars.com slash Harris-Cherokee for more information. Caesars.com slash Harris-Cherokee for more information. By the way, speaking of the final four here, so you got the games on Saturday. First of all, here's what I'd love to do. I'd love to go back 30 years ago and take somebody from 30 years ago, bring them to 2021 and say, hey, we've got a Final Four that includes Houston, Baylor, UCLA, and Gonzaga. 
and the Cinderella team and all of this is UCLA. Wouldn't you love to try to see the look on somebody's face 30 years ago to try to explain that situation to them? But that's obviously where we are right now. And when we first talked NCAA tournament on this show a few weeks ago, the question I raised is still relevant. Is there anyone who is a threat to Gonzaga? Can anything be done to slow this Gonzaga team down? Well, so far through the tournament, I would suggest that Gonzaga has been as advertised in each of these uh, games thus far. But boy, you start looking at Baylor a little bit, don't you? I mean, you start wondering, you know, is there, you know, could Baylor with Scott Drew, could they, could they be a threat to actually beat Gonzaga and stop? I mean, folks, don't forget this. We're looking at history here. We have not had an undefeated team in college basketball since the 1976 Indiana Hoosiers team, one of the greatest teams of all time. You know, this is a little bit different kind of situation because Gonzaga is obviously out of the West Coast Conference, although that league doesn't always play bad basketball. Uh, Some years, uh, you know, really pretty deep there all the way around. But this is a history-making potential event. And as you think about moving towards Monday in the championship game, you know, does Baylor stand as a legit threat to Gonzaga? I would say no. Gonzaga would remain my pick through all of this. But I am definitely a little more open to the idea of, of Baylor quietly playing well through this entire ordeal there as well. If you get to that, it's not a you know, sexy matchup in terms of huge national brands necessarily. But uh, Gonzaga-Baylor could be a really, really good basketball game if that's what you end up uh, getting for your championship game when you're all said and done there on that. Here's one of those things I'm guessing we'll probably talk more about over the course of the weeks to come. And the one thing I'm very much aware of is even though that Dog Nation World Headquarters is here in Atlanta, obviously Dog Nation stretches coast to coast, border to border. Not every person who cheers for UGA also cheers for the in-state professional football team, the Atlanta Falcons, but many of you do. And for those of you that do, I have what I think some of you may see is bad news there's some mock draft activity there's some chatter online chatters i like to say connecting kyle pitts to the falcons with the number four overall pick i don't like it for a number of reasons first of all i think falcons need quarterback but that's a different topic for a different show the real issue for uga fans is can you wrap your mind around cheering for a former gator if you're a falcons fan now you've had keanu neal guys like that before this is a little bit different thing I think it's a little easier with Pitts because I do believe he's a really good playmaker, and I, uh, you know, do you know believe he's one of the most dynamic you know, offensive names in the draft. But man, you know, you know, given a chance to kind of do what you might be able to do in the draft, to think you may be taking Florida skill player here, I don't know how Falcons fans are going to feel about that. My preference would be for Atlanta. I mean, I'd much rather it be Jamar Chase, right? Even though Chase beat up Georgia pretty bad SEC championship game, at least not a Florida guy. I'd much rather it be a guy like Chase as opposed to a guy like Kyle Pitts, but. That's all based on, you know, kind of, you know, fan logic and really nothing else related to that. Speaking of the draft, good for Kirk Herbstreet, ESPN analyst. There has been a really weird, weird conversation going on around former Ohio State quarterback and obviously former Georgia quarterback Justin Fields. A lot of y'all know I like Fields. I'm a little bit of a fan of his. Um, I think he can be very good at the NFL level. I thought it was really good at the college level. I know he's still a little bit controversial in Georgia circles, but at this point in time, that's water under the bridge. I think we would mostly all agree with that. The point is, Dan Orlovsky goes on the Pat McAfee show. Many of you are familiar with McAfee. And Orlovsky, under the guise of, hey, man, I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm just telling you what I've been told, described Justin Fields as essentially someone who was not interested in hard work, saying he was the last guy in, first guy out, which is like the dumbest cliche in the world when it comes to this kind of stuff and really just kind of painted fields in a negative light now listen the truth is an absolute defense if it is true you should say it 
But somehow I have a hard time believing this is true, just given the fact this echoes and and rhymes with so many of the other pre-draft slander that we seem to hear about guys all the time. And there's nothing worse to me. And a lot of these big names that you have, like the one million plus Twitter followers and the big presence on 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 TV, there's a lot of what I guess you might call like access style journalism of, hey, if the key source tells me something, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to say it no matter what, because I want this key source to keep giving me things, feeding me things, whether they're true or not. So I'm going to be, you know, kind of blind in my analysis of what I'm being told. And I'm just going to spew it out anyway, because it kind of keeps me connected to people who obviously have a certain narrative and viewpoint they want to get out. I think that stuff is gross. I think that stuff totally mars the pre-draft process uh, at times. And in this particular case with Orlovsky, this feels a lot like what you've seen in the past with all of that. So um, in this case, Kirk Kerbstreet goes on Twitter to kind of fire back at Orlovsky here, a little ESPN on ESPN crime, if you will. So Herbstreet says, absolutely ridiculous in relationship to Dan Orlovsky. He says, even if you aren't saying it, to pass that along from, quote, people in the know is reckless and absurd, embarrassing. Listen, there's a lot of Kirk Herbstreet tweets over the years that I haven't exactly been a huge fan of. This is one where I think he's absolutely on the side of the Angels here. I, I have no idea how good of a quarterback Fields is going to be at the NFL level. I think some of the stuff that's been said about Fields in the pre-draft stuff is is frankly pretty ludicrous. And in the case of just uh, in the case of Herbstreet here, sort of stepping up to offer his defense, I, I think that's really well done all the way around. All right, let me do a couple other things here really quickly as part of our SEC through. It kind of stretches on here. Uh, I was going to do a Lane Kiffin story. Let me skip that for right now. Let me do Mike Gundy instead, and we'll finish with this. So Gundy has what I think is a really interesting idea. Now, this has come up before, but Gundy kind of take it to a different level on the notion of playing a spring game, Power 5 versus Power 5. He says he thinks it'd be good for uh, Oklahoma State to scrimmage Arkansas, a school that's not too far away, Nebraska, A&M. He says there's teams around that would be good to have a spring game, spring scrimmage, where you do like the NFL, do some inside, do some seven-on-seven, do some team. I'd be for that just from a number standpoint. So what he's talking about is not necessarily a made-for-TV event, but obviously that perks up a lot of the ears, a lot of fans who say, would you turn down a chance to watch, you know, Oklahoma and Tech, I should say Oklahoma State and Texas A&M during the spring or Arkansas against the Cowboys, something along those lines? I guess you probably wouldn't. I guess the one downside that always exists with stuff like this, though, is is if you do power five versus power five kind of preseason football during the spring, you know, every other year, I guess you wouldn't have a spring game on your campus, which I think would be pretty disappointing. So I don't know if there's a way to play two of these where you get a home and home during the spring or whatever else, but I'd be in favor of this. I think though, and this is kind of important to bring up as we head towards G-Day, like spring games at Georgia are still a pretty big deal. You know, Georgia's got limited tickets for this year's G-Day game and they sold out in like two seconds flat. I mean, uh, there's huge ticket demand uh, you know, for even during these kind of COVID times, huge ticket demand for for these tickets around Georgia. But that's not the case other places. There are at least two SEC schools this year, Kentucky, Florida, that come to mind right away that didn't have spring games. Now they're, you know, potentially mitigating factors for why they didn't. I'm still not quite so sure about all of that, though. I think we're kind of moving away from spring games other places, even though they continue to be a pretty big deal here in plenty of other places around the SEC. So 
playing an actual opponent other than yourself for for a G day. I'd love the idea of doing it. I just don't know how realistic it ends up being. Uh, but pretty interesting stuff there all the way around. We'll make that your SEC through. Let me quickly mention this here on Dog Nation Day, presented by Kroger. We're going to be on video today, 3 p.m. for the next edition of our Dog Nation Freeze Frame. That's me, John Stinchcomb. Today, we actually put this one in the can yesterday. I think it's really good. John goes deep on Lewisine, the Georgia safety, about you know what he has done for Georgia before, what he may do now, and kind of more of that elder statesman leadership role in absence of uh, Richard LeCount and really a lot of other experience in that secondary. So today, 3 p.m. on the uh, Dog Nation video channels, you get a chance to see Dog Nation freeze frame me, John Stinchcomb, going deep on Georgia safety, Lewisine. Hope you'll check that out. All right, a couple of things related to Georgia athletics I want to get to here just for a moment. So Tamani Kamara has put his name in the transfer portal. Another lost member of this last year's Georgia basketball team and I'll I'll be frank I don't quite know what to make of all of this is this an issue of issues within the Georgia program or is this an issue with the rampant way in which the transfer portal is being used and someone like me more of a traditionalist might go so far as say being abused in the ranks of college basketball but by the time this is all said and done we may have 2,000 names in the college basketball transfer portal I simply don't know enough here to know that but it's what six players from Georgia in the transfer portal I think thus far this offseason our buddy Chip Towers has even speculated out loud about maybe even more entering the portal before it's all said and done it's too early for me to say about this one way or another but this is clearly a story worth following now it's also fair to point out there are a lot of teams in the NCAA tournament they're kind of built via the transfer portal so maybe you know it is what it is but uh an interesting development for Georgia basketball with Kamar a guy that you would have thought would have been in good standing here going into the transfer portal this is worth trying to follow and see where it goes also quick shout out to the diamond dogs here back at home this weekend uh on the road last week uh lost series Texas A&M first series of the year against Tennessee the truth is the Vols have actually turned out to be pretty good right now so important for Georgia and kind of a top 25 level matchup with South Carolina in Foley Field here this weekend Scott Strickland is back after a 14-day COVID quarantine so pretty big SEC series for Georgia here at home this weekend with South Carolina there at Foley Field I know a lot of dog fans getting ready to enjoy that and hopefully it'll be a good one for a UGA here this weekend all right as we say goodbye here yesterday one of the things that we talked about was former Florida defensive back Marco Wilson not exactly the most apologetic about the thrown shoe that cost the Gators the game against LSU and so that has brought a flood of golden shoe themed golden shoe (laughs) nominees here for today let me show you this one first on Twitter from our buddy Ben Green who we've talked about already this week he says and this is kind of a cool thing it shows Marco Wilson holding some fingers up saying this is how many more shoes I will throw he says yeah I throw that shoe and I'll do it again so uh see Benson Green our buddy Ben Green having fun on that with uh, Twitter. He is a multi-time Golden Shoe winner now. Uh, so good stuff there on that. Also, our buddy Forestry Dog from the uh, Dog Nation Forum in our comment section, dognation.com. This is really funny. Marco Wilson doing a vertical leap, and he says he jumped 43.5, uh, and at the very top of it, you see the actual Golden Shoe that he's leaping for. Very funny stuff from Forestry Dog. Good all the way around. How about Gator Hater Countdown? 200 and... 11 days from now, Georgia goes back to Jacksonville, gets a win over those lousy, stinking Gators. Y'all have a great weekend. We'll see you back here Monday, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. And on the podcast, time now for R.S. Andrews Podcast Cool Down. Of course, air conditioning, heating, and electric. You can trust R.S. Andrews to do all of that. They show up on time. 
They do the work that's promised for the price that's promised. Uh, find them online today, rsandrews.com. show is long today, so we're going to be very quick with our comments here. First of all, a couple things on Twitter. Um, a lot of folks reacting to the fact that our buddy Terrence Edwards and his brother Robert were at Georgia practice here this week. They want to find out more about what went down there. Uh, we actually haven't had Robert on the show in a while. I want to get Robert on here pretty soon because he's, first of all, a great guest, great former running back. One of those guys that I don't think gets enough credit for just how good he really was. You know, his NFL career was obviously cut short due to injury. Go back and watch him in 95 and in 97. Uh, a fun game to watch if you never find it on YouTube is the 96 game against Auburn. The It was Georgia's, It was one of the first overtime games college football had ever had. Uh, am I right to say it may have been the very first? Uh, but it was you know, in, in the kind of the early stages of overtime in college football. And uh, Edwards was really good in that game a fun game to go back and watch and also just a, a terrific a voice talking about college football so maybe we'll see if we can catch up with both robert and terrence on that uh, our buddy bank six who sometimes comments on youtube also shared a clip with me from that you know that press conference and i should say that the coaches clinic thing we started the show with today bank six sharing another clip of kirby smart this time kind of uh highlighting a, a defensive breakdown for clemson and he was kind of saying that maybe that adds some fuel to the fire for the for the Georgia Clemson game coming up. I'm not quite so sure that's the case, but it is interesting to hear Smart and these other coaches kind of speaking in sort of an unfettered way when they think they're only talking to other coaches. Anytime you get a chance to kind of lean in on that, that's always uh, pretty good stuff. On our comment section, and by the way, if you want to contribute here, you can also go to, in addition to on Twitter, at Dog Nation Daily, go to the podcast show page each and every day at dognation.com timothy1952 says let's be real adams going back to yesterday's topic about you know georgia starting the trend of of big time non-conference scheduling he says while georgia has added much to its future schedules it wasn't the first to do it i don't know of anyone who's uh, been as aggressive as georgia has on that I, I think it's undeniably true that georgia was the first when you're talking about adding multiple power five non-conference games in single seasons which georgia will now do with regularity in future years uh there's nobody doing that prior to georgia i i'm, I'm quite confident in saying that score check also checking in to say thing uh, if it wasn't georgia who was it and the answer is it was no one georgia was clearly the first and now you know a lot of you know programs kind of doing the same thing venom ga brings up alabama in a way doing that and you know Bama's the classic example of this. To Alabama's credit, it was, you know, very willing to play the week one neutral site game against, you know, somebody in Orlando or or Atlanta or, you know, done Dallas a few times, but was not really doing the home and home thing, not playing non-conference road games. Yet with Georgia, as Tony Barnhart said on SEC Country Live, going back to Wednesday, once Georgia did that in 2017, all of a sudden Alabama's trying to do the same thing. They're playing Texas. They're doing really all the things that Georgia had done. It is a classic example of what Bama fans talk about all the time of true copycatting. This was a classic example of that. And frankly, I'm not mad at them. I'm glad. I think it's better for the sport to have it that way. But this is clearly an example. You look at Alabama's future non-conference schedules. You look at the way in which they really mirror what Georgia had done in months or in some cases years prior, and you see a, just a really perfect example of that all the way around. So uh, good comments. Keep them coming on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily or online uh, by posting your comment to the comment section when we post the show each and every day, dognation.com. Thank you for being here for our R.S. Andrews podcast. Cool down today. I'm going to wrap this up a little quick because the show I said was long. I know a lot of you have Easter weekend plans and hope you enjoy it. Uh, for those of you going to be out of town next week, thanks for taking us with you wherever you go. Pop us in the car while you're driving or flying or whatever else you're doing. And, of course, we'll keep the Georgia football talk going as we head towards 
G-Day and with all this, the recruiting stuff that continues to unfold, we're just going to have a good time talking about it all. You have a great weekend. See you Monday. Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. We'll talk to you then.